Here's what to expect today. And so their parents thought they were doing a great thing by letting them try a bunch of stuff. But what I really believe is that a parent needs to decide what's the outcome. Is it a duration or is it an achievement, a skill or whatever? Okay, we're going to stay long enough for them to have an outcome so that I can say, wow, you worked really hard for that. Well done. That's what you say. You're not like, you're so talented. You say you worked hard. I appreciate your effort. And then that child begins to tell the story of, wow, when I work hard, I'm good at things. Like I actually did that. I learned how to do a cartwheel. I, you know, can play 30 songs. I can whatever. So that's kind of where this whole thing started to take shape for me because I recognized patterns in parenting, like certain parents have with certain personalities get certain outcomes with their kids. Because I recognize that without information, we think quitting is, it's good and bad, but we just think it's okay to let our kids quit. And we've given up on ourselves so many times too. If that's our background, then we're just like, oh, I totally get why my kid wants to quit. I wanted to quit too. The adventure of entrepreneurship and building a life and business you love, preferably at the same time, is not for the faint of heart. That's why Heather Pierce Campbell is bringing you a dose of guts, grit, and great business stories that will inspire and motivate you to create what you want in your business and life. Welcome to the Guts, Grit, and Great Business Podcast, where endurance is required. Now here's your host, the legal website warrior, Heather Pierce Campbell. Alrighty, welcome. I am Heather Pierce Campbell, the Legal Website Warrior. Welcome to another episode of Guts, Grit, and Great Business. I am super excited to introduce my friend and a brilliant woman. I can't wait for you to hear her story, Robin King. Keen, welcome, Robin. Thanks, Heather. I'm happy to be here. So happy to have you. So, Robin and I first overlapped, I want to say 2000. 2018 or 19, it was at one of the early JVologies, right? right. But it That's wasn't, cool. I think it wasn't until 20, like late 2019 that you and I sat side by side at that table at the mastermind event. And I got to know Robin. Yeah, a bit more and just was such a fan. I, I loved learning a bit more about your story. I think it was in that conversation that you said to me, I need to trademark quitting culture. <laughs> probably right yeah. and I and I learned about like how often you have these brainstorms where it's like bam this concept just comes to you and you go like get the domain you know yeah <laughs> so funny so that was a great event and since mm-hmm. that time I mean we've we've been in touch and I've watched your work evolve a little bit but I'm super excited especially knowing the evolution that you've taken recently. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to have you here. I think this conversation is going to be super relevant for our listeners and uh, very powerful. So for folks that don't know Robin Keene, Robin is a former music and dance studio owner, author, and speaker. Having taught music for nearly 30 years, she's an expert in the areas of accountability, goal achievement, and vibrant communities. A reformed overdoer, Robin focuses on helping people identify and release outdated and unwanted commitments, promises, and agreements. Her own recent and ongoing Purge for Peace has given her an incredible amount of freedom from overwhelm, anxiety, and FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. Robin works with people in her mastermind, strategic accountability coaching, and in her new community, Our Table of Joy. Welcome, Robin. What a great intro. Oh, thank you, Heather. Yeah, well, it, it keeps evolving, right? Yeah. Like As what I said should. last year probably isn't what I say this year. There's some themes, but definitely always evolving. Mm, yeah, there are some themes. And I do remember that when we connected, you talked regularly about the the topic of or the concept of quitting culture, right? Mm -hmm. And how we often get that wrong. Do you want to start there? I would love to know because, right, I think so many of us are like, yeah, never quit, never give up, right? We're we're ingrained, like as children, that it's a bad thing to quit. And I think if my recollection is correct, that your whole quitting culture concept and theme is really about 
figuring out and embracing what it is that we need to quit. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. I grew up and Vince Lombardi was a coach and I remember his words, which was uh, winners never quit and quitters never win. That was something Mm -hmm. my parents taught me and I heard as a child. And I definitely grew up believing I had to finish everything I ever started. And my parents really helped me with that. And I, I appreciate that because it certainly set me up for a lot of quote unquote success, right? Like I remember, you know, I had a kind of little babysitting empire where we lived. I was kind of the queen of the empire and I had babysitting jobs all the time. But, you know, when I was like 15 or 16, I really didn't want to have to babysit, but people expected me to. And I remember saying yes to Mrs. Duggar that I would babysit. And then I got invited out on a date. And I remember saying to my mom and dad, oh, I really like this boy. I really want to go out on the date. And they're like, too bad. So sad. You made a commitment. You got to, you got to do it. It's funny how I remember that one, but I think I must've really liked the boy who asked me out and it was hard to, you know, hard to accept. I had to keep my commitments, but they really ingrained that in me. Mm. But I, and I didn't know this for a long time. I thought it was really good. Like just finish what you start, you know, say yes to everything though. That was another thing I kind of grew up with. Like if somebody invites you or asks you to do something, the nice thing to do is say, yes, please. And thank you. And then just do it. Right. But it, it became obvious at some point to me that I had committed to a whole bunch of stuff and there were two options really. Well, maybe there were three. One was to do the thing I'd committed to because that would be the right thing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. But then another thing would be like to put it off or the other thing would be just to slip away. And the idea of quitting just wasn't acceptable wasn't a possibility. So I began to notice that I had committed to a lot and I needed to figure that out. And having four children, that's committing to a lot. I couldn't do anything about that commitment. I had to keep that one. (laughs) Right. That's the biggest kind of commitment that, yeah, it's, um, none of us really know what we're in for on that one, but no, no, that is a full on commitment. There's, I mean, there's so much in there, what you talk about, like with the yes culture, I think, especially for females. Mm -hmm. So interesting because my sister right now is being pressured by her work. She was hired as a sales associate, right? Mm -hmm. She's phenomenal at sales and she's really phenomenal at other things too. And so what she has found is that she often gets asked to do all this extra above and beyond her normal Mm -hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Because she has these other skills, mm-hmm. the expectation, let's be clear. This is a company led by men, right? So leadership is all men mm-hmm. and the kick-ass sales associates are all women. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But she, she did a, a presentation just because she was asked to, and she's really good at it to her local team about social media, right? You've got a bunch of people in the aesthetics phase space They should be on social media, but like so many of us in business, they're technicians at what they do. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily masters at business or masters at social media, right? So she did this training and it was phenomenal. And then the company came to her and she consults on the side. She does this. Oh, came to her and said, we'd like you to come lead a national training and teach the whole team and, you know, nationwide, blah, blah, blah. Of course, they're not going to pay her extra or change her job title or do any of this other stuff, right? So she's okay. she's had to create some clear boundaries around, mm-hmm. no, that was never the expectation. That's not my job. Here's how we can accomplish that if you want to work together and create a win-win. But the reason that example came to mind is because all of these men are just telling her, basically, she needs to be a yes person. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you're a team player, you're just going to do this. If you're like, just hand over your IP and all these slides and your systems and strategies that you developed. Like if you're a team player, you would just do this. And it's the yes people that really win. This is the messaging that she's getting yeah. right from leadership. Yeah. And it's absolutely not true for women. But I think we've accepted it as true. We are, we're like, we always have to be agreeable. We have to help as much as we can. If you're a good, good person, then you will say, yes, you will help. You will rescue. You will 
uh, overdue. And you know, Heather, I have a group on Facebook called Overdoers Anonymous and it's 90% women, right? Maybe, maybe that's the one that you came up with when I was sitting next to your table. I <laughs> Yes. yes. Overdoers Anonymous. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. It, Overdoers it, Anonymous. We And so many people relate to that. Men, not as much. I think men have a different concept of themselves and a different uh, relationship with themselves. Women tend to want to make everybody happy. It's just in our nature to be more nurturing, yes. agreeable, flexible. And we're designed. Yes. We're really designed that way. But at some point, we have to learn how to release things. And I think we never learn that. Nobody ever teaches us how to quit. We are not told how to quit. And and until so, we start breaking, right? Right. My sister, having been through this pattern before at her last company, learned through painful experiences, like these are my limits. I can't give and give and give and do all this extra outside of this full-time job I already have and be a mom and have kids and not have it eat up all this extra time, but she has to spell it out, right? This takes hours and hours of my time to put these presentations together and prepare for this. And like, that's not what I was hired to do. Mm-hmm. It's it's just fascinating because over I, I saw her yesterday. I was at her house and over the course, even of a couple days, the nature of the emails coming in all from male mm-hmm. leadership, heavily, heavily relying on this yes culture from women. Very interesting. And that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. And then trying to set boundaries where we haven't had them before is very, can be very upsetting to the people on the receiving end of new boundaries. Having boundaries, like I don't, I'm not sure because I don't know, but I think it's harder when you're younger to set boundaries. I think um, some of this comes with experience, like you just said, difficult experiences or experiences where you're like, wow, that's not what I intended, but look what I've set up and now how do I get myself out of it? But if we can learn some of this earlier, it doesn't matter when we learn it, but yes, it, it requires you know, the potential of creating some upset when we create new boundaries, when we establish yes. new boundaries. But if you look at that, there's a cost to somebody, right? There's a cost to you if you don't have the boundaries. There's a cost to the other person on the other end because now you've got boundaries and now they have to figure out another strategy, right? To get what they needed. So they would need to then, her team, her her guys that she works Mm -hmm. for, they will need to go find somebody else or they'll need to come up with a different proposal that actually appreciates and acknowledges her boundaries in order to, enroll her in doing this thing but just keep pushing her boundaries it probably if if it were me I'd be getting more like riled up about it and more and more sure that I wasn't going to do the thing to have him pushed like that right well that's exactly it it's you know it's it's one thing to be asked to do it and to be respected from the start it's another thing to just have it be insinuated like oh of course you're going to send your presentation over and your slides and of course we're going to do like without even having the conversation about can we do this? Are you on board? Will you support this? We, you know, whatever. Right. So it is, you know, that whole boundaries discussion is just mm-hmm. such a big topic and fascinating. And mm-hmm. everybody faces it at some point. Everybody. We do. And it can be from a, a work situation. It can also be with a neighborhood community, or it could be from your kid's school or it could be from your parents or family members. You know, I think something I have thought about a lot and I learned it somewhere, but basically you teach people how to to treat you, right? That's right. So I think about that. I work with uh, music studio owners, quite a few of them. And we talk about that all the time. Like, how can you set up a, a studio that you absolutely love. Well, Mm -hmm. you make it what you love and then you let people know this is how it works here. Right. Like there's no give that, you know, and I always say a hundred percent committed is much easier than 99%. Right. If I'm a hundred percent sure that I'm not going to do that thing, you're not going to be able to convince me if I am a little bit on the fence about it, like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I don't really want to, but you can be pushed. Right. It's the same thing with children. If they know that there's a chink in your armor, 
man, they're going to find it and they're going to put that little finger in there and wiggle it. Till it <laughs> right. right? And it's, it's human nature. We look for places in which we can, you know, manipulate or negotiate where there's an opportunity. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's why boundaries are difficult because many times I think we're, we are not a hundred percent committed because we're not a hundred percent sure of ourselves. Mm, that's so good. Well, and it's true. And it's so interesting because I spend a huge amount of time talking with my clients about business boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. About the importance of business policies, which signal those boundaries about how the enrollment conversation or the legal document supporting that client service is another reinforcement of that boundary, another chance to educate Mm -hmm. that client, right? But it really is the same conversation. It's about boundaries. And you have to communicate those for people to understand them, for them to be clear. I am curious where for you in your life, where did, like, I'd love to hear the backstory, even around the phrase quitting culture. Where did that come from for you? Where, where did, did that story originate for you in your life that that became a theme, a passion, an area of expertise? Mm-hmm. It's very interesting how these things kind of evolve, right? Heather, like, it's almost even hard for you to, me to tell you that story because it's kind of like a spiral. I don't know. It's like a bunch of things, right? It's not like a straight line for me at all. So I had this experience I told you about as a child, like whatever you're committed to, you finish. You never walk away from something you said you were going to do. You don't leave it. You just stick with it. So I had that running for sure. Like piano. I started playing the piano when I was three and a half. Took lessons. Oh, wow. Yeah. Took violin lessons is where my parents had me start till I was 10. And then I switched back over to formal lessons with piano. I did that all the way through college just because I told my parents I wanted to. And they were like, well, you can't quit now. You got to see it through. So there's very much ingrained in me this whole thing. So fast forward to me uh, having kids, my own kids, and then opening up my music and dance studio. That was after the first baby, maybe second baby was born with four. It's hard to remember. Right. <laughs> And what I noticed, you know, having worked with parents for more than 25 years and families was that this thing was happening with children. This is kind of where it all really started for me. And I would, so I have a guy that I work with in Sacramento. His name is Neil Moore, and he's the creator of the Simply Music, Simply Music Piano Method that I teach. Mm. And when he trains you as a teacher, because it's it's a robust training and certification, he lets you know, look, that when it's somebody is enrolled in learning to play the piano, you need to let them know it's going to be a long-term relationship, right? You don't learn the piano overnight. And in any long-term relationship, there are peaks, valleys, and plateaus that last for short, medium, and long times, and it's always changing. So this conversation is very ingrained in me, and I've had it thousands of times with families about Mm. so when when their child hits a plateau or a valley they don't go to something's wrong they go oh freak out yeah this is just part of the experience right but one of the things I noticed Heather is that so I didn't just have my students in my studio there were about 500 students we had a whole huge team of teachers you know ballet Mm. everything you name it instruments choir everything But what I noticed is that there was a whole lot of quitting going on with kids, what I would call a premature quit. Mm. And what I started to notice, well, here's what first happened. I was looking at the students in my Simply Music classes going, why do I have all these rock star students? Like they're not just good at piano, they're good at soccer and they go to National History Day and they win for the United States, right? Like they're just, they're just everywhere doing everything super, super well. So I noticed that. And then I noticed the other kids, the other kids in my studio were, okay, mom has enrolled me um, in ballet. And now I'm eight eight weeks in and I'm quitting ballet and I'm trying jazz, but I don't really like jazz. And so I'm going to go over here and try martial arts, but actually I think I'd like to sing in the choir. And then by the time those kids hit junior high, those ones that kept changing all the time, they don't want to try anything. Yeah. And I'm like, what is going on here? And I recognized that parents who understood what was getting set up didn't let their kids quit. Now, I'm not saying they never let them quit, but I'm just saying they had a goal 
in mind and they waited for their child to achieve that goal and then let them change if they wanted to. But the parents who didn't recognize what was happening and let their child start and stop everything, what really happened there is kids, kids have no idea what's getting set up. And they have no idea why their parents really let them quit, except that they whined and cried and complained long enough. And then what those kids, by the time they're, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, what they believe about themselves and the story they tell, if you ask them is, I'm just not really good at anything. That's the story they tell. Because they've never reached a level of confidence that just takes time to obtain. Yes. And yes. so their parents thought they were doing a great thing by letting them try a bunch of stuff. But the it, but what I really believe is that a child needs to, a parent needs to decide what's the outcome. Mm-hmm. Is it a duration or is it an achievement, a skill or whatever? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to stay long enough for them to have an outcome so that I can say, wow, you worked really hard for that. Well done. That's mm-hmm. what you say. You're not like, you're so talented. You say you worked hard. Yeah. I appreciate your effort. And then that child begins to tell the story of, wow, when I work hard, I'm good at things. Like I actually did that. I learned how to do a cartwheel. I, you know, can play 30 songs. I can whatever. So that's kind of where this whole thing started to take shape for me because I recognized patterns in parenting, like certain parents Mm -hmm. have with certain personalities get certain outcomes with their kids. Mm And that's where this came from, because I recognize that without information, we think quitting is, is like, it's good and bad, but we just think Mm -hmm. it's okay to let our kids quit. And we've given up on ourselves so many times too. If that's our background, then we're just like, oh, I totally get why my kid wants to quit. I wanted to quit too. Oh, right. Well, and I was going to say, I bet you a lot of those parents had the parenting of you didn't have the option to quit. Right. Right. And, yes. and so they think like, Oh, well, I'm not going to do that to my kid, but I think yeah. what you're talking about is really understanding a balance. Mm-hmm. So, and for example, like with my kiddo, you know, and he's, he's got ADHD. So attending to anything is mm-hmm. bigger mm-hmm. effort than a kid without ADHD. Right. But of course we've tried really hard to pay attention to what he's naturally drawn to because for yeah. those things, he can focus for significant amounts of time, right? Right, right. But we've had to learn some painful lessons along the way. He wanted to try soccer. And so at three, he was a super active, you know, mm. rambunctious little kid. We went and put him in soccer and it was like pulling teeth. Mm. There was no way that was going anywhere at that age. And, mm. you know, and I talked with him like, Aiden, buddy, like you love soccer. I'm so confused. Cause he would play around our house and be like, yeah, I want to play soccer. And, and then we got him there to the field with the team. And he was like, no, like he was a pillar. He was not going to move. You could not <laughs> tell him what to do. We would have had to drag that little body around the field to get him to do oh, yeah. what the, right. Yeah. And he just said, mom, I don't like that guy telling me what to do. Right. So in my mind, I was like, well, this is a problem. He's not going to show up to this. And at this age and at this stage of development, be able to do what we thought he could do. Right. Right, So, but in my mind, I was kind of like, Ooh, am I a failure? I'm taking my kid back out of this thing that he seemed so excited about. And Mm -hmm. what we've had to learn over time, like versus baseball, which he also loves and has stuck with. Okay. Yeah. There was one night where he said, I don't want to go to baseball. I'm tired. And his dad had taken him ice skating. And so his dad called me to say, Aiden's not going to baseball tonight. And we had to have a real discussion about that because that to me was one of the adverse, like letting, allowing the quitting go a little bit too far Mm because Phil hadn't talked to him about what does this mean for the coach who made this commitment and shows up to every practice? What does this mean to your teammates who all benefit from your skill level, actually being there alongside them? What does this mean? You know what I mean? For the future performance of your team, if you don't actually get to have too many practices as a team, you know, and I just started having those questions with Aiden in the, in the context of a conversation, it only took a few minutes. He's like, okay, I'm going. Right. 
right? But he right. made the decision. And so I think that I relate really strongly to the parents that are like, oh, I don't want to do what my parents did to me. So I was one of those kids too. I relate to your story of like, mm-hmm. you're not quitting no matter what, you know? Mm-hmm. I see your year of volleyball um, and I was a volleyball kid all the way through. I had stress fractures that ran the length of my, both shins. Oh, wow. So painful to jump and move. And the doctor told me like, you really shouldn't be doing much besides walking until these heal. Yeah. My dad did not want me to quit spring ball. This was after the primary season, but it was my body. And I knew it was not a good choice to continue. And I quit spring ball because I just couldn't. Mm -hmm. And my dad didn't talk to me for two weeks. Oh, wow. Right. And so it was definitely one of those quitting culture type of moments where it Mm -hmm. was like, I felt like a failure. I was punished for making that decision. I looking back, like, I feel like it was totally my decision to make, but it was really hard on my parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Because there, again, those expectations, right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, so I don't want to present this as it's a must or have to, right. it's, It's being aware of the potential of having your child tell a story of I'm not very good at anything. That's the concern I have because I also work with entrepreneurs who don't get their stuff done. And the story when you dig down is, well, I never get anything done. Actually, I'm not that good at anything. I've never, you know, I don't, I'm not the person who finishes anything, right? There's this pattern repeats itself. It it just lives Mm -hmm. on. And so at, at the very least, I what I really recommend for parents is that they consider the age and stage of their child, mm-hmm. of course. If they're old enough to have a conversation with, great, have a conversation. If they're not, if you know that it's an individual thing, right? So it is fairy tale ballet, for God's sake. And they're three years old, right? Like nobody's going to fall apart if they don't come. But if you know, let's say it's a six-week class and you're just like, no matter what, we're going to go for six weeks. And then I can say to my child, good job. You finished that class. That's so great. I know it was a big deal. We worked hard, didn't we? Or you did or whatever. Mm. Um, so, and when they get older, of course you can enroll them, but just like you did Heather, when they want to quit, because there's almost always a time they do, then you can say, Hey, this is a team and you know, you committed and we agreed and we know it's a season and we're halfway through, which is kind of a normal time where things fall apart. And we have a commitment. We made a commitment that t- the coach is counting on you. Your teammates are counting on you. You're a part of something bigger and this will pass. You yes. will feel differently in a week or two. And it's okay yes. not to be happy about going, but we're going. And I've had to say that to my kids too. You know, they're, they've been on different teams and in different sports and different dance stuff. And, yeah, they every one of them at some point has been like, eh, I don't like it anymore. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. I'm committed. You don't have to be. I have to be. Mm-hmm. I'll be committed on your behalf. And mm. we'll finish this thing. And then we will revisit it when it's complete and see if you're ready to do it again or if there's something different. But just that completion, right? Mm. Well, and it's really such an important point. I think a lot of parents, if they're listening, especially if they've got little ones, they know the concept of specific labeled praise, right? And praising the effort, yes, not just, but how can you praise the effort, right? If you're just allowing them to fall off all the time or to quit or to shift, right? There has to be that consistency to yeah. some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and then parents tell a story too, right? Then they don't even know, know what to say to anybody when they let their child quit repeatedly, mm-hmm. Then they become, I've noticed they become less in, interested in enrolling in their child somewhere else or in doing other things. Mm. There's a, there's a quite honestly, an isolation that happens when for both children and for their parents, when their child has taken on this quitter mentality mm. that's, that is enabled by the parent. And now the parent feels like crap because, you know, my child never finishes anything And if they still don't see their part in it, we can't do anything about it. We have to acknowledge, I have a part in setting this up. I have a part in how I acknowledge my child. Um, If your child's perfectionistic, perfectionistic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
there you have a part in that. And often the part is in the way you give praise, right? The part where you acknowledge their talent or natural gifts, that's not a great thing. Um, right. I had a child in my piano studio, um, Thomas, and all of the kids always were in groups. And Thomas was, was just like a couple of other kids in his small group. And he was about, I want to say 10 or 11. Mm. And he started being really perfectionistic about things where if he didn't get it right, he would like have a meltdown. And mm. I happened to read the book by Carol Dweck at that point, Mindset, I think is the name of the book. And she talked about specific positive feedback. And I went, oh, I'm guilty of saying, well, you're just so good at that. Like, that was awesome. Like, that's amazing. And I, I shifted it immediately. And I talked to his mom and I said, let's do this. Let's try acknowledging his effort and just see what happens. Two weeks. It took two weeks. And he, he was a whole different kid. That amazing, right? It's because amazing. a kid, a kid can control their effort, right? That's they right. can't control the outcome. That's right. I love it's that. Just it's remarkable. It just—I almost get goosebumps when I think about it. Oh, I totally like do. It, it, yeah, it was like a literal shift in in the way he showed up, mm-hmm. which was let me show you what I did. Not mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't do it right or whatever. I don't know. Right. It just changed. Yeah. So I think that's. That's really important too. So that was kind of like where I started with this whole thing, mm-hmm. Heather. But then I went to the overdoing part of it too. Like, like why doesn't anybody teach us how to quit? Yeah. When, it, when it's appropriate, happen? right? When it's the right thing to do, especially as adults, when we have yes. autonomy, we have a lot more knowledge to work yes. with. Like there are valid reasons why we need to stop doing something. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so, you know, like I said earlier, we don't really know how, so it's likely that we'll just slip away where we just won't say anything. We'll go underground. That leads Mm. to a bunch of bad stuff too. And, and I think what it really requires is having bold conversations or courageous conversations Mm. or whatever you want to call them um, with yourself and with other people too, like did this come out of a period of you feeling that sense of overdoing it like personally or was yeah. it noticing others? Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. That was me. I mean, yeah, I see women around me, all of my friends, right. I've been watching them. We all raised kids together and some of them are overdoers and some of them really aren't. And mm. I've always wondered about the ones that aren't. I'm like, how come you're so good at like saying no and having boundaries? Um, So, but it really came out of my experience and it came out of not so much being busy with my studio and four kids. I mean, I actually loved it. And I've had a few friends say to me, Robin, when is enough enough? And I'm like, never. Like (laughs) if I'm having fun, when would there, why would there ever be enough fun? Like just keep going. There are things that light me up that I absolutely love doing and I could do them all day long. Not saying I should, but I could, right? Mm. But then, but then there are these other things that just keep me busy. And also they weigh on me in a way that the good stuff doesn't. And what I mean by that is um, things I've said yes to thing with a good intention with, mm-hmm. you know, like I might've said yes, cause I was excited. And then I realized I'm not excited anymore. Or I said yes, mm-hmm. cause I felt like I was somewhat obligated and I really don't feel like doing it. Like there are many, many reasons that we say yes. But what I realized, and this is really, Heather, it's an outcome from being involved in personal development. And I started, I went to Jay Facet's program, I think it was five years ago, the first time, um, a program called The Gift, which I highly recommend, which just opened my eyes to a bunch of stuff. I'd gone to one landmark or a couple of landmark programs before. They didn't touch me the same way. They were way more intellectualized. And Jay Facet's programs now run by Ray Ann Woodshot's um, Integrity Seminars in Edmonton. Those are much more heart-centered And somehow the information just landed in a completely different way for me, just completely different. But one of the things that really showed up for me a few years ago, maybe four or five, was that um, when when we have broken agreements with ourselves, we are out of integrity with ourselves. And when we're out of integrity, we get confused, we get scattered. And our self-esteem drops. And I have really spent a lot of time around that concept just for myself. Like, what does that actually mean? Broken agreement with myself. 
this all ties in. So it seems like a bunny, a rabbit trail, but it, I promise it does. So a broken agreement with myself could be as simple as I set my alarm for six o'clock this morning and I hit snooze five times. Okay, well, I actually didn't keep the agreement, which last night I set the intention. I'm getting up at six. I got up at seven. Or it could be that simple. Or it could be, here's another good one, because uh, I actually went through this. I was not eating sugar. I was off of sugar. I do this all the time, but I was eight months off of sugar. And on March 12th, 2020, my youngest daughter and I flew to Calgary to attend the gift she was attending and I was on the team. And in flight, I didn't know it till we landed. Jay, who is running this program, texted me, don't get on the plane. <laughs> like, don't get on the plane. We Canada just closed, right? It was the day one of the, the pandemic. And uh, we landed and I read the message and Ava was, you know, I, we were there for five days. We were so excited in this big thing. And I was like, oh, crap. Okay. And so I had told Ava that we get to, went, to, well, we went to the hotel and nobody was there. And she's okay. like, this is weird. What's going on? I'm like, oh, well, we need to go home. So that night we couldn't get home right away. Uh, that night we went to some mall and we bought fun stuff, right? And we snacked. And the next morning, I jokingly say, the next morning I look over at my pillow and, oh my gosh, there's a bag of caramel M&Ms half eaten. And I'm like, oh no, what did I do? Right? <laughs> oh crap. And that was an opportunity for me to practice this thing that I call for myself, letting myself off the hook. Mm. So I just quit my eight month sugar fast and I did it in a, a heated moment of upset, right? It was like crazy, but I just quit that all of a sudden. And so I remember thinking to myself, whew, okay, I'm out of integrity. I just broke a promise I had made to myself with very little thought. Um, I have two choices right now. I can either beat myself up about it, shame myself and make myself wrong and tell myself what a, you know, how stupid to throw away eight months of that for, you know, a momentary pleasure. Or I could just let myself off the hook and be nice to myself. And so that's what I did. I looked at the bag. I sat there in bed. I think Ava was asleep in the other bed still. And I went, okay, you just made a different decision. That's interesting. Okay. Well, that's okay. You can make a new decision. You've got you're in charge here. And so you're off the hook when you're ready to make a different decision. I know you'll do it. I trust you to make a good decision or a different decision, a better decision when you're ready. But for now, finish off that bag of chocolate. Caramel <laughs> M&M's like it just was let it go. Do mm. not, I do not need to beat myself up about it, but that takes some discipline, right? I mean, it's, it's, the natural thing is to shame ourselves and criticize ourselves and make ourselves wrong. Oh, totally. I think, I think it like almost goes against human nature, right? It like, yeah. that's how kind of fish out of water it feels. And yet the interesting thing, and I, I can't remember where I read this, but I remember reading that, you know, for people, especially that, you know, have goals or high functioning, et cetera, when they do have a moment like this, the most important thing they can do from an effectiveness, like a personal effectiveness standpoint, is to let it go, is to let themselves off the hook. The longer they spend time in beating themselves up, shaming themselves, et cetera, like the more energy, focus, time, all of the things, right? But then it, it also is more likely to actually lead to additional failures, not oh, yeah. getting back on track. Totally. I totally agree, right? Because the more we live in this place of, I don't keep my agreements with myself. We're not even talking about other people yet. I break my promises. I don't do what I say I'm going to do that. We hear that that's all negative mm -hmm. self-talk. And the more we talk like that to ourselves, the, the more discouraged we get and depressed. And I still think this isolation thing is a big part of it too, right? We don't even want to go out there and interact with other people because we can't trust ourselves. I, really can't trust. I think that's what it comes out. I really can't trust myself. I'm not sure you should either. Cause mm -hmm. I don't, I can't, I can't even keep my own agreements with myself. How can I be in integrity with you? Mm. Yeah. That's a heavy one. It is. It's mm -hmm. a big, I think it's a really, really big deal. I think it's a mm. big deal. 
And so, you know, now I would probably say, well, Robin, don't commit to things you can't be sure of, right? It's what we talked about a little while ago. Like if you're in limbo, then it's better, just like it is with kids. I know we keep coming back to kids, but Mm -hmm. it's better not to say yes or no to a child until you know for sure what you want to say. Because if you say no and you meant yes, you're like, and I have examples of that. Oh my God. Or you say a maybe, right? Whatever. You are just going to get pestered and pestered and pestered. Yeah. Better to just say, hold on. Give me a minute, right? Yes, totally, totally. Uh So talk to me about what you're doing through quitting culture. You Mm -hmm. want to share a little bit about what your focus is and how you help people? Yeah, so just to fast forward this Mm -hmm. to right now. So I mentioned to you, Heather, that I've been doing um, since last June 4th, I Mm -hmm. was at the beach in Seaside, Oregon after a very full week with friends and family and clients. And I was all alone mm. and it had been kind of a rocky week, like some great things and some really crappy mm. thing. And so I was listening to a Joe Dispenza meditation. And when he said, now imagine your future, I stopped the meditation. I stopped walking. And I said, actually, I got to unravel this week. I do not know why I'm so like agitated by this week. And as I was starting to kind of think through things, I heard a very clear voice. It was like the voice. And it said, if you don't bring me peace, you don't get a place at my table. And it was not like God saying, Robin, bring me peace or you're out. It was more like, Robin, who is at your table? Yeah. And why are they there? And if they're not bringing you peace, they really need to go. Yeah. I took that seriously. And so Heather, I've spent the last 11 months and 29 days or whatever it is purging for peace and, and really identifying what it is in my life that does not make a contribution. So I don't care if it's things like emails, like, you know, I've signed up for a bunch of people's stuff and I get emails all the time, right? First step I took when I got home from the beach was to unsubscribe. And I probably unsubscribed from 40 people's emails within about a week's time. And then I went on to social media and then I wanted to, went on to apps. And then, then about a month in after doing all of that, I went on to people. And so that's when, that's one of the things we didn't really talk about, but you know, how do you quit things accountably with people? There's yeah. a process, there's a very specific process that I use, which is, um, Hey, this is what I've noticed. This is the impact it's having on me. Um, this is my part in it. Like I got to tell my my part as well. Um, And this is what I'd like to do about it. And, Mm -hmm. and, and those are not easy conversations and that that's a super slim little version of it. But I went on and did that with people in my life too, that, you know, you can't do that with your family. You really can't. I mean, your family is your family and whatever, and your clients are your clients for the most part. But what I really am looking at is, is there is this an equitable exchange? Mm -hmm. Like, is there something that you're bringing to make a contribution or am I the one doing all of the giving and all of the output, which causes me stress then? So that's what I love to help people with is getting to that point of recognizing what it is that needs to go and Mm -hmm. quitting with intention, quitting with intention, not just slipping away, not, not leaving people wondering, um, Virginia Miskies and I've talked about this and she calls those unspoken brokens, right? I, oh, that's so good. Yes. That you've made a promise and now you've broken it, but nobody's talking about it. Mm. Going back and cleaning that up with people, like what situations from 20 years ago. And the fact is the stuff that you haven't completed, if you haven't closed the loop on it, it literally lives in your mind and your brain as something that's incomplete. And so it'll wake you up in the middle of the night. It'll interrupt you when you're out at the beach, having fun with your kids. It'll just show up and you're like, oh my gosh, dang, I need to take care of that. Well, let's take care of that because when you've taken care of those things, the opportunity to live with way more freedom and way more peace and way more joy, it's just remarkable. Oh, it's huge. I think in the coaching space, I know there's a phrase or a word called tolerations, right? Mm-hmm. Those tolerations of I, I should be doing this or I committed to doing that. I didn't like all these things that we tolerate that we're not handling. Mm-hmm. I love your quitting with intention phrase. It's like quitting with clarity, being clear yeah. about 
what happened, where we are, what we want to do about it. And I think to the extent that you have, you know, relatively stable, healthy people that you're interacting with, that can go fine. What do you say to the folks where there are some toxic people or toxic relationships where maybe you have the intention and you have the clarity, but you're not able to have the conversation? Well, that's where that courageous part comes up. Um, I did have to have a couple of those conversations. I had to call a couple of people and say, hey, um, we need to talk. Um, Here's what I'm noticing. Um, Here's what my part in it was. Like, this is what I did to contribute to this thing that's happened between us because I want to take ownership. And if you don't know what that is, you need to sit with it because you did have a part, right? Like you... Things don't just happen because of one person. And so I had to really dig in and go, oh, I see. I enabled this piece by not saying that. When I could have said that and I didn't say it, I allowed this next piece to happen with you. And this literally happened. It happened at Seaside with a friend. Yeah. And so I I gave myself a whole month to work it through. I didn't talk to my friend for a whole month. And then when I did, I was like, here's what happened. This is my experience of what happened. Here's my part in it. I didn't say this. I didn't make that clear. I didn't, I didn't require clarity from you. Mm-hmm. And, and so the impact it's had on me is I, I realize now that um, I require certain things from our friendship. And these are the things I require. I require respect, inclusion, um, appreciation, acknowledgement, and gratitude. I think those were the ones. And I said, and it's no problem if you don't want to offer those to me. It's totally no problem. I just will no longer be able to be in a friendship with you. Mm. How and that go? my friend is like, is, is this the end? And I said, uh, totally your call. Like, if you want to provide those in our friendship, that's great. We can continue. But if you don't want to, no, we can't continue. And it's no problem at all. Mm. I meant it. And my friend was like, Oh, this could be goodbye. And I was like, yeah, it could. It, it totally could be goodbye. I'm good. I'm okay with it being goodbye. Mm. Right? Like, so that requires some real thoughtfulness and mm. some real commitment to resetting the boundaries or establishing the boundaries or reinstating the boundaries. And my friend has been an awesome friend ever since then. Mm. Everything has changed. Um, and it's, I'm not saying it's easy. But I am saying that if your commitment is really to purge and only have people around you that bring you peace and a contribution in some way, there's some kind of equitable exchange, then the requirement for me is that I get on the phone or I get in person and say, this is what I need. Because the worst thing that can happen is they're like, yeah, I don't want to provide that. And then you're like, okay, well, I gave you the out. And if I'm being true to myself... I'm not giving myself an out. I'm serious. Like, goodbye, right? I've had a couple of those. I've had four or five of those. And I'm like, that's okay. And some Mm -hmm. people are gone and that's okay. Because I am way more peaceful, way less stress. (sighs) It's very nice. Yes. Well, and I think for anybody who's gone through some version of that experience, it's, I feel like a lot of the painful parts come before that point of clarity, right? Oh, it's like right. building up to the clarity. Once you're clear, yes, right? Yes, you might have to have the courage to then go have what could be a challenging conversation, but that clarity guides it and makes it so much easier to have that conversation. And I think so many people stay in the portion or the space of not having clarity. Back to that limbo thing, right, Heather? Yes. Like 99% committed is much more difficult than 100%. And when you're in that limbo, you're not sure you should or you shouldn't. That is a really rough time. I don't think you should have a conversation until you've hit the moment of like, oh, I can see this is not good for me. This yes. is not good for me. And to continue is not to be good to myself. Yeah. And and often it's truly not good for both people because, right, right, one of the other things and, you know, having done some work around boundaries and read a bunch about boundaries, the thing that you find is that the kindest people have the clearest boundaries. Like it actually is an act of kindness 
to mm-hmm. set your, your boundaries with clarity, because then people on the other side are not wandering around in the dark, wondering why things feel off as well or whatever. Right. right? Even if they're the ones violating the boundary, that's the irony. Yeah. But I agree. I think, you know, at our studio, we had very clear boundaries. We had very clear policies. We even had the hardest ones and ones that were people didn't want to believe. We had them printed and displayed mm-hmm. in a frame on our wall. So if they're like, I don't, you never told me that. We're like, it's right there. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it made it easier for everybody because nobody was pushing. Yes. And I think when you don't have clear boundaries, people just keep pushing and it's a, an effort for everybody. It's an effort for somebody to push and it's an effort to resist. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, it goes back to like even the, my sister's example that I raised at the beginning, just because she's mm-hmm. in the middle of it right now. Mm-hmm. Right. They were not aware she had a boundary. So they were overstepping it. And now she's had to say like, that was a boundary. And right. they're still taking quite a bit of time to understand that. And yeah. And it's so necessary for us, for our growth, for our businesses, for our individual happiness, right? What's interesting about what you just said about your sister, what popped into my head was that that constant pushing, like at some point, you you just have to have such a clear, like no and no further discussion. So I'm thinking about friends, right? Even friends who are like, are you sure? I can't just like, could I just... And you finally just have to be like, I know this just sounds like I'm like really rigid, but it's a no, like it's a no, because that constant pushing, like at some point people just need to get that when I say no, I actually mean no. And actually you don't want me to go into full throttle. No, because I'm not very nice with that. Like I've only done that a few times, but I've had it a couple of times where I'm like, you need to stop. Right. I don't want to be like that. So maybe there's a way. I, again, I think it comes back to the way we've trained people to treat us. Yeah, I think it comes back to that because if they feel like they can push and children are the same way, they'll just push and push and push and push and push because they pushed you over once. They think they can again. Mm-hmm. And so they just ramp it up. Right. So getting really strong and really clear. And it, it's that hundred percent committed. I'm a hundred percent committed to this boundary. Like you couldn't, yes. you couldn't pay me to change this boundary. It's a no. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and The thing that I find fascinating is having walked my clients through many experiences where they've gone through something painful in Mm -hmm. order to arrive at the boundary is that looking backwards, they end up having so much gratitude for Mm. that lesson and for that event. Like, even though it was painful in the moment, it's like, you know what? That's actually what it required for me to develop this boundary and to now have this boundary be so clear. Yeah. And I think it's funny. It's like the older we get, the more experience we have, the more sure we are about our boundaries. I was just talking to a girlfriend of mine and she's like, you sound really wise. I think you're getting older. And I was like, I am getting older. Thank you. I've earned this wisdom. (laughs) I love it. You sound really wise. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was funny. Yeah, it's it's true. And it often comes through those experiences. Yeah. Multiple experiences. (laughs) You finally just go, you know what? And I think that's what happened with my purge for peace. I'd been doing a lot of work with uh, Suzette Farah. Um, she's a coach and she and I are actually starting a project together now called, called Our Table of Joy. And mm. it's really meant to support people in letting go and getting clear and experiencing more joy. But because I did a lot of work with her, I was able to go through this purge with very clear boundaries and, and really be able to assess like, what am I looking for? What do I, I ask myself that all the time, Robin, what do you want? I'll wake up in the morning and be like, what do you want? Like not food, not that, right. but what do you want today? What do you want? And I think so often we don't really know. What we want. I don't think we know what we want. And so we, we don't really have boundaries and we don't, we haven't really defined what we want, what we don't want. And so it's very easy to say, yes, it's very easy to be pushed in a direction. And I think when you work to establish what you really want. Like, like I told my friend, this is what I need in a friendship, right? I gave my friend the list, like, this is what I need. And as, and because I did that a year ago, or I guess it was July last year, as new people come into my life, I look at them and I go, Hmm, these are the things I need. Are you providing those? I don't say it to them, but I ask myself, is this person providing this? Is this person offering this? 
And I also look at, okay, if this person is stressing me out, what about that? Is it, is it something that could be discussed and shifted? Is it worth it? And if it's not, it's a no, thank you. Um, You've probably heard this before, but my friend, Neil Moore, that I referred to earlier, I used to work for him in Sacramento. I'd fly down there a couple of times a month. And he said, one morning we were sitting in his office chatting, working on some project. He said something about opportunities. And um, he said, Robin, there will always be endless opportunities. Wisdom is knowing which ones are for you. And it was just a moment for me. I've never forgotten that moment because it's so true. And as we have all these things that present themselves in our lives, if we are clear about being able to evaluate them as a yes or a no, and when we say no, we really mean no, no, thank you, and let it go Mm -hmm. and just stick with the ones that light us Mm -hmm. up, make us happy, bring us joy. Right. Well, it was a great example. You walking us through your criteria of like now on the front end, you're looking for those things. And if it can't be shifted, if it can't be fixed, it's a no, thank you. And right. Like having that clarity, I think will just save people so much time and energy and effort Mm -hmm. trying to manage a scenario that just was not for them. Yeah. Even if it's shiny and it's wrapped in a perfect package and it looks really good and all your friends are like, Ooh, you should go for that. And you're like, actually, no, you're not mine. You're not for me. That's right. I, the, the shiny package thing, this, this point is particularly relevant. I think in the business space where people see an opportunity, like a publisher reaches out or, you know, something big on their radar happens. And like, for me, it's like, somebody will cross my path that looks like an ideal client. Mm -hmm. And then when we start to get into either discussions or uh, some initial consultation, if they take a really long time to get Mm -hmm. back to me, it's Mm -hmm. a no. Right. Because there's just not enough forward momentum. Right. I think this is a great vetting tool for for business opportunities too, right? Because they just come in all the time, clients or opportunities with other entrepreneurs, business owners, and it's it, it can look so good. And and people, other people are like, what are you thinking? You, you should be, uh, so it's so true in business relationships as well, um, being able to use these tools to evaluate if somebody's actually a good partner Um, One of the things I'm guilty of, and I'm not so much anymore, I'm way better, but not asking enough questions, looking at the outside wrapper and thinking I knew, and then not acknowledging red flags, not not being willing to have a conversation or having it, but not getting real answers. And I think it's really important that number one, we know who we want. We have a list of what we're looking for in a client or a business partner or a JV partner. And then we test. We just do little tests to see if this is really going the way we want it to. And again, like I said, with, um, you know, people coming in and you're like, okay, everything checks off, except you've got this little thing, this little thing. Can we address these things or do I need to let this go? It's no different. I think in business, it's Uh really on us to do a great evaluation. If that person is somebody who really brings uh, equity and a partnership that we're looking for with the qualities we want so that it's joyful and peaceful and not crazy making. Yes. Well, and, and hindsight is such a blessing when we begin to develop those criteria, right? Even in a friendship, like business, for sure, it's important. Mm-hmm. And matching up with the right clients and the right JV support or whatever else you're doing. But even in friendships, recognizing like, oh, I ignored this before with this particular person and it really didn't go well. And paying close attention to that, I think the power of observation and taking the time that is required to get to that point of clarity really is just about time and attention, right? Oh, you are so right about that. I So one of the things I've said to some people about this purge for peace is, if you could see the end of my deck, I live on like a, a, in a, at the top of a beautiful barn, right? A mother-in-law mm. unit. And I have a patio or a, a deck and it's really lovely. And it's actually quite large. I have about 
24 vegetables and plants out there right now. So it's large enough for that. Um, but last year, before I started going through my own process on this, I would say I could maybe get out on the deck, but I couldn't go any further than the deck. Like if things were just pressing. I had so much. I'd gone through a big launch. I just had pressure, pressure, pressure. Well, when I started doing this purge for peace, I, I got to the end of the deck and then I opened up to the next field and then there's like another 15 acres and then there are the mountains and I actually have the whole runway now. I have the whole runway, which means when something comes in, it's not so pressed upon me that I feel like I must react. I can sit with things for quite a while, uh, maybe good or bad, but I've got time. I don't feel the pressure now to respond quickly to anybody and not, not saying I'm trying to hold people off, but if I don't have clarity, I'm not going to give an answer. We talked about this a few minutes ago. I'm just not going to answer. I'll say, thanks. Let me think about it. But that there is just, I don't know why we react like that, Heather. Why when right. there's when we have so much going on, we feel like we need to give a quick answer when actually we don't. It's within our sovereignty <laughs> as people, as a person to be able to say, I don't actually owe you an answer. You just made me an invitation or mm-hmm. whatever. I I get to choose. I get to think about it. And I've had some people this year have pressured me. They're like, hey, where'd you go? And like, Oh, uh, what, what do you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, give me a minute. Mm-hmm. I, I literally had to say to people, you just need to give me a little, give me some time. Like, I'm not interested. I've had people send me stuff and they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm actually not engaging with that right now. Like, I'm not going to engage with that content, mm-hmm. whatever articles, whatever, it doesn't matter. I just tell them because they're like, what did you think? And I'm like, I'm not reading that right now. Because it's actually not making a contribution to my my frame of mind. It's actually taking me out of a good space. And you're asking me to walk into something that I don't want to walk into. So I'm actually not going to. But having the ability to do that, you, you have to have some space. You have to have cleared some space so that you can say that um, comfortably and confidently. Mm, so good. That por- I mean, that point is so important because... I think especially in the digital age, we have shifted to this era of responding yes. rather than control, rather than deciding what is my system, what is my time frame, yes. what works for me. Just because you get an email right now doesn't need to mean you need to respond right now. But so many people feel that. They feel like, oh, I just should respond. And then you're training people. They should expect an immediate response. And maybe that's not how you should be training people. I figured that one out about 10 years ago. I was working on a large music project and I had a someone in Australia that I was working with. And one night she, she called me at 1115 and I'm serious. I was in bed. I had my lotion on my face, like the typical thing, right? Like you're in bed, you're, you're in bed, you're ready for sleep. And my husband said, are you actually going to get that? And I said, there must be something going on. Cause she knows it's, you know, after 11, I answered, we talked and he was just like, Robin, seriously, like people do not need to have access to you 24 seven. And you've just shown her that you are available. That was a big moment for me. I was like, oh, I see what I'm doing. And that was the beginning of shifting that whole piece, Heather, around. Actually, I'm only available Monday through Friday from eight to five. I'm not available in the evenings. I'm not available on the weekends. Some people don't get that, but that's my life. I get to choose. Nobody else can impose it on me. It's really what I'll tolerate. I don't want to tolerate that. Right. (laughs) Right. Oh, such good reminders for us around what is it in our life that we're doing just because we've been trained to do it that way, or we think it's how it should be done. And and we really need to shift that because everything from maybe our email habits, our communication habits, our patterns with our clients, like so many areas that we can look and apply this. Mm -hmm. So many. So many. And I'm sure that people are listening like, oh my gosh, I need to find out more about Robin. I need to connect with her and learn about quitting culture and purge for peace and everything you have going on. Where are you online and where do you like for people to connect with you? Well, I mentioned earlier that uh, Suzette 
and I are starting a brand new community. It'll be launching in June. So it might already be up by the time you listen. Nice. Yeah. Called Our Table of Joy. And that's where you can find us, ourtableofjoy.com. We're inside of Mighty Networks. We're not on Facebook with this project. And uh, so that's a great place to find me. I am on Facebook. I'll probably always be on Facebook in some capacity. So you can find me, Robin Quinn Keen. You can also find me in my group, Overdoers Anonymous mm-hmm. on Facebook. Um, of course, I'm on LinkedIn and all of the all of the places. But yeah. probably the best place to connect with me um, is probably just emailing me or oh. finding me on Facebook. Yeah, Robin awesome. at Yeah, all right. Easy. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we'll share your email. We'll, we'll share your links. We'll share your new group for sure, because I think this probably will go live after that point. And you can find those links and more at legalwebsitewarrior.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes page for Robin. Heather, I have one more thing really quickly. Yes. I'm very happy to offer anybody something I developed three years ago that was kind of the first step towards this. I didn't realize that this is going to develop from there, but it's called uh, the Klepto Code, Six Steps to Stop Stealing from Yourself. Mm. And it's a it's a course and it's not very long, but I'll provide the link to that too, because it is in about two hours time, you'll go through a, a level of this and just get some clarity on what you need to quit and how to do it. Oh, I love that. That sounds like a phenomenal resource. So folks, if you're listening, you go <laughs> right now and grab the klepto code, how to, how to stop stealing from yourself. I love that. Robin, that's so generous. Thank you so much for coming today. I've so looked forward to this conversation and I knew it would be filled with tons of insights and on a really important topic. I mean, I think a lot of people live in a continual state of overwhelm mm-hmm. and we need tools like this to help us stop that. Um, What final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I think the final piece of advice is that it's actually your life and you get to decide how this goes. Mm, I love that. Such a powerful but simple reminder. Robin, thank you. I so appreciate you. I'm so grateful to know you and I look forward to um, learning more about your new project really soon. Thank you, Heather. It's been a lot of fun. Always great to have a conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Guts, Grit, and Great Business Podcast. We hope that we've added a little fuel to your tank, some coffee to your cup, and pep in your step to keep you moving forward in your own great adventures. For key takeaways, links to any resources mentioned in today's show and more, see the show notes, which can be found at legalwebsitewarrior.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us some stars and a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so others will find us too. Keep up the great work you are doing in the world and we'll see you next week.